Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we're exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country that is as divided as our country has become. Now, one of my goals on this show has always been to inspire you, the listener, to go out there and make real change. But, you know, that's actually these days a tall order. Uh, you probably got a job, you got a bunch of other obligations, and above all that, it's easy to feel, you know, why me? You know, you might say to yourself, I'm not a politician, I'm not a billionaire, uh, what do I bring to the table? How can I make a difference in the first place? But I believe that no matter who you are, and no matter what your title is, you've got an opportunity to make a big difference and push the limits of what's possible. And for a living example of this, you don't have to look any further than Aloe Black. Now, many of you have heard the name Aloe Black. If you haven't heard the name, you definitely heard the music. I need a dollar, hold on tight, can't get over you, wake me up. I mean, the guy is a stone cold hit maker. But even though his official title is recording artist, like you, he's a lot more than just his title. Uh, he was a huge help uh, to those of us when we were trying to pass the First Step Act, a criminal justice bill that freed thousands of people from federal prison uh, who didn't need to be there. Uh, he's also advocated for ending qualified immunity that protects cops when they're acting badly. He's trying to get rid of that. He's been a huge champion for immigration reform. He founded something called Artivist Entertainment, which is an organization that helps local community initiatives in Los Angeles to make real progress. And recently, he's even broken into the biotech space trying to find solutions for COVID. Uh, he has done so much for the world, and he does it in a way that inspires people and brings them together. He's somebody who we can all take inspiration from because he's taken his one talent and he's used that to do so many other things. I just had this you know, epiphany the other day. I was like, I've been in control of my life independently since I turned 18 for the past 25 years. Right. I may live, you know, God willing, another 50 years. So that means I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. With the next 50 years of my life, it's not just going to be music. I'm not just going to be on stage shaking my hips <laughs> and, and singing a melody. What am I going to to do to create lasting, positive transformation that is going to make this world a better place for my kids and also fulfill me, give me purpose? And so everyone has that opportunity. And I think everyone should recognize that you should not ever quit or stop or doubt your ability to make something positive happen. I think all of us can take a lot from Aloe Black. Stay tuned for my conversation with him after this break. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. 
Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Mr. Aloe Black. Hello, hello. Hey, brother, man. It's so, it's so good to see you. It's so good to have you on. Um, Thank you. You know, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff I want to get through topically and just you know get your 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 opinion about a number of things. But I want to just start off with a term that maybe you coined. If you didn't coin it, it's been applied to you. And uh, of, of artivist. What does it mean to be an artivist? And and what made you become an artivist? Given that uh, be, just being an artist alone is hard enough. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't take credit for coining the phrase. It's something that uh, I believe my friends and my wife, we started an organization called Artivist Entertainment in order to support artists who use their voice for positive social transformation, whether you're a musician, a visual artist, a dancer. And we had heard the term possibly in other places, but we feel like it really reflects the way that we want to engage as artists. We want to make music and develop art that speaks to the condition of humanity, that speaks to the condition of speaking truth to power and supporting the underdog. And I think mm -hmm. as an artivist, what we are tasked with is to create art that will entertain and also educate and also motivate and also call to action the kind of transformation that we personally and collectively seek. Well, look, I think that that's very, very powerful. And I think the thing is, everybody has a platform of some kind, even if it's just the people you go to work with, your family, the people who follow you on you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, everybody has some kind of a platform. Not everybody tries to use it for good. Sometimes people just use it to profile, they use it to sell their product. The idea that, you know, you want to use it for social good and transformation, all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of people in the Uncommon Ground audience will resonate with that. But I wonder for you, why? To, oh, like, man. I mean, it's so it's so hard just to be an artist, just to get signed, just to get your song played on the Spotify. 
why for you? What's in your personal background and journey and story? I watched Eyes on the Prize on PBS mm. as a youngster. I want to say I was in middle school. Oh, let me stop you. Let me stop you for the people who don't know what you are talking about, because that is my story as well. If you do not know what Eyes on the Prize is, Google is a powerful tool. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it may be on YouTube these days, but it was a series about the civil rights movement. And it showed the intimate background stories of all these different heroes and heroes, not just Dr. King, but Ella Jo Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and Stokely Carmichael, all that sort of stuff. I watched that stuff in college. It changed my life. Right. And so it, it really changed my life. And I, I would say, you know, growing up in suburban Orange County, Southern California, in a predominantly white neighborhood, I was one of five black kids in my in my elementary school. I had a relationship and an experience that was very positive. I did not have adverse racist kind of experience with my peers and with their families. Mm -hmm. However, I did recognize and we all understood from the teachings in school about history and slavery and the relationship between white supremacy and black subordination in the country. I could understand what was being shared to me through this mm -hmm. TV show. And the fact that my parents are from Panama, they're immigrants, they never presented race as a barrier to me, although they had ex had their own experiences coming from Panama and their own experiences within the United States, which I think is interesting. There's a whole, you know, whole other conversation to unpack how that ultimately uh, socialized me. But this particular program, plus, I think having had an education in you know, at a, at a private university, working for corporate America for a couple of years before I became an independent artist, trying to make a living as an artist. All of these experiences afforded me the opportunity to look at my place as an artist, a recording artist, with the lens of, I have an opportunity here that is greater than just entertaining. And uh, and so I, I made a conscious decision when I signed a major label recording deal that I would use my voice to be counterpoint to what the m industry generally invests in and sells and and pushes. And I thought if I'm being signed for this, they know I do this, then I'm going to double down. But you didn't just stop with the music. It's hard enough to be an artist and then to be an artivist. But you've also been something of an activist. You know, you've actually picked up the microphone, not just to sing, but to say stuff and to talk about issues, to talk about immigration, uh, to talk about qualified immunity, uh, to talk about the First Step Act and criminal justice and all these things, which is, again, that's even another step beyond. I just want to, before we get into those issues, what, what made you want to do that? Because it's, again, I think a lot of people who are listening to this are people who want to do more. I think all of us feel like more needs to get done, but you know, it's risky, it's hard, it's, I'm not the right person, who am I to think that I can do this? Let me stay in my lane. All that kind of stuff is in the background, obviously because, you know, we're not moving in society the way that we should. What was that thought process? I had some success with a single that I released called I Need a Dollar, and the music mm -hmm. became really popular, and I started to get a lot of endorsement deals from different companies. And one of them in particular was a liquor 
beverage company. They paid me a lot of money to be on a on a campaign and, and take a photo holding uh, holding their drink. And it happened to be my father's favorite brand. So I thought, this is great. I'll send him a poster, send him some, some bottles. It'll be great. And I got a phone call from another activist friend of ours from South L.A. And she was a member of the organization at Coco South L.A. Community Coalition started by Representative Karen Bass. And she called and said, Allo, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? She said, you have posters all over South L.A. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I got a bag. My dad, my dad got the poster. She said, we just started our campaign to shut down liquor stores in the inner city. And here you go promoting liquor. And it was really a slap in the face. It woke me up and really made me recognize, OK, I can't just take the money, everything that I do is going to have some sort of consequence. It's part of the message. Everything I do, not just the lyrics I write that I put out on record, but then the way that I show up in the world outside of the music. And that's when I recognize, okay, there's more that I have to do. I have to be conscious and intentional about all the actions. And so that made me really step into the activist role. Let's talk about some of the, the causes that you've uh, stepped up to. And uh, I want to do it from a particular place which is this idea of using your platform to be a bridge builder. You know, this is sort of like, you know, uncommon ground. That's our whole quest is like, how do we you know, make change by bringing people together rather than, you know, turning people against each other? That seems to be the main model right now is be mad at the billionaires, be mad at the immigrants, be mad at this, this group. that, And that's how people want to try to make change. We're trying to figure out ways to make change by having people turn to each other and not on each other. And I think that you bring that. But let's talk about the immigration uh, you had the great director, Alex uh, Rivera, do the video for Wake Me Up. I love Alex. Yeah. And that was that was a great uh, serendipitous meeting because, again, through this network of activists that we are friends with here in Los Angeles, we met Endelon, the National Day Laborers Organizing Network. And Endelon asked if I could help them in their campaign to humanize the struggle of day laborers and also work in their campaign for dreamers. They recognized the value of a big song, a big hit song like Wake Me Up, which happened to be uh, the collaboration I did with dance artist Avicii. And I had my own version of it, an acoustic version, and I needed to make a music video. And they came with to me with the idea of using this song as an anthem for dreamers and creating a music video that spoke to the humanity and the dignity of people who are just trying to provide for their families. It's really powerful. And I think, you know, I, tr I wanted to use that as well as an example to my peers in the industry at the highest levels, right? Because I was on Interscope and this is one of the biggest recording labels in the world. It's Lady Gaga and Will I Am and Black Eyed Peas. And how can I show them how they can potentially use their megaphone? And mm -hmm. this, it was a huge opportunity. You know, the crazy thing about it is I think people see you as just black, right? They don't think when they see you, they don't think immigrant. Yeah. Everything gets coded now. Like, you know, there's certain issues that almost have a, a color. And yet you're from a black immigrant family. And that's something that, that people don't talk about. Intersectionality. I am both black and Latino. 
I coexist in those worlds. I grew up with my parents speaking Spanish in the home and listening to salsa and, and eating, you know, arroz con pollo, right? This is my existence. And so being able to partner with an organization like Endelon, which normally we would consider the immigration discussion to be one of discussion around Latinos. Well, that's what it is here in the United States. But I, as a global citizen, get to travel around the world and perform everywhere. I also recognize immigration as a discussion and a hot point in Europe because I've mm. been there. Sure. And it's not just to talk about, let's say, Middle Eastern or Syrians going from Syria to refugees going to Europe or North African refugees going to Europe. I've also been in South Africa where Africans from other countries come to South Africa, right? So black and black, it's not a color thing. It really is a human thing. And we just need to recognize this. And hopefully my messages will bring that across. Yeah, you know, it, it is crazy when you're in South Africa and they're talking about Mozambicans, mm -hmm. the way that some Americans talk about Mexicans. Yes. Like, we don't want them here. And they come across the border wrong. Right. <laughs> you're like... How can you even tell the difference? We're all like black people and like, but people could, no, no, not those Mozambicans, they're the ones bringing all the problems. And you're like, wow, borders are a trip. Borders are a trip. And we recognize in the U.S. that there's a power struggle and dynamic around race. But I have a friend who's a freedom fighter in Kenya named Boniface Mwangi. He is fighting against corruption. The, the power dynamic there is not a racial dynamic, right? And so having a breadth and kind of a depth of experience and knowledge of activists around the world, yes, we do have to recognize in the United States race as a tool that is used in the dynamic and power struggle. But if we just recognize that what supersedes that is just the concept of somebody is going to use whatever they can as a tool of power over someone else. There's, you know, toxic masculinity. There's cisgender heterosexuality. Once we can fully understand and accept that, okay, we're dealing with power here. We're looking at these different variables as tools, right, that are used in power I think we all then can get to a better understanding of, oh, okay, let's figure out how to come together without using these tools. Let's figure out how to come together and not use these differences, which are very, you know, very minuscule in the grand scheme of things. And just and recognize we're all humans trying to survive and we can help each other survive together. You know, one of the most powerful things I've heard recently, uh, somebody said, everybody's different and everybody's the same. You know, and it's like if you can hand hold those two things in your mind at the same time, uh, you can solve almost any problem. You know, these different groups with these you know, different struggles and challenges and histories of oppression and reality of oppression. It's all real. And there is this deeper humanity at the same time. And it's the fact of that deeper humanity that makes you know, change possible and makes miracles possible because you can sometimes tap into that and remind people who, you know, remind men who are on top or remind, you know, Europeans who are on top or remind, you know, straight folks who are on top. Hey, hold on a second. You're not always on top. There's situations where you've been hurt, situations where you've been less than, you know, situations in your family where you didn't feel like you were treated right. 
now let's make sure you're not doing that to other people. And there's a way out <laughs> um, based on that shared humanity. Everybody's been one up in a situation and, and been in the power position. And everybody's been one down. Uh, even if you're just, you know, just uh, you might be rich, white, male, American, whatever else. At some point you were a young kid and young kids get treated bad, <laughs> don't get listened to. And so everybody can tap into that shared empathetic humanity. Nothing does that better than music. And that's part of why I think you, know, you have the platform that you do. Um, you've extended your concern also into criminal justice, police reform. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you, you were part of a big push to end qualified immunity. Uh, let's just hit that really quickly because I think a lot of people still may not even know that term. Yes. Qualified immunity is the Supreme Court doctrine that essentially qualifies police and state actors or federal actors and agents to be immune from accountability or responsibility for their actions. It is ultimately a get out of jail free card. It is a pass that I think creates a culture of God complex within law enforcement and other other government entities, but in particular law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, basically, the Supreme Court just made up the idea that you can't sue a police officer in civil court, no matter what the police officer does. The police officer comes to your house and burns it down, you know, molest somebody, assault somebody, beat somebody up. No matter what they do, they have immunity in civil court. Now, could they lose their job? Yes. Could they be put in jail? Yes. But could you sue them and get their house, get their boat, get their truck, you know, get their savings account? The answer is no. And so... You know, this whole issue, which is, you know, after George Floyd became very, very popular, for a long time was not popular. I mean, back in the 90s, early 2000s, to say the stuff that I'm saying or the stuff you're saying might be seen as anti-cop, anti-law enforcement, pro-gang member, anti-law and order, pro-crime, you know, things have changed a little bit now. But I wonder why you would lean in on this issue at all, because it is, you know, becomes, you know, black community versus, you know, blue cops and very divisive sometimes. People don't understand it. That issue itself is pretty technical. How did you wind up becoming one of the big champions of ending qualified immunity uh, in U.S. law enforcement? What happened for me was that I was really racking my brain trying to figure out what is the smoking gun, for lack of a better term here, that is allowing police to continue to do this. What is the reason why they're not being prosecuted. And my friend, Brandon Paradise, who is a law professor at Rutgers University, said the reason why you can't sue police officers is because of qualified immunity. And it was sounded like a foreign language to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. And he fully explained it to me. And then I started doing more research. Then I pulled him into conversations I was having with different think tanks around the country that were working on this Brookings Institute and, and Cato Institute and, and trying to get a sense of, okay, who are the best minds on this? Where, where are we in terms of legislation that can potentially change the civil rights code and the law in a way that makes it impossible to misinterpret so the Supreme Court cannot pervert this law anymore. And I became really adamant that we need to educate the population who have been out in the streets protesting against police brutality, 
but not knowing really what an, what action item they could take further. And this would be the action item. Educate yourself, weaponize yourself with education. Use that education to call your local representative and congressperson for, for your state, because there are state measures of immunity as well, to call your congressperson, your federal congressperson and, and represent, uh, representative, your senator as well, and push them to vote for the legislation that is being written and, and presented now on just criminal justice reform and especially this issue of immunity, which I believe is the linchpin. I believe it is the thing that creates the God complex and just keeps police and law enforcement acting crazy. I think it's important, in a, once you get really technical about it, it's important in a different way in that, you know, if somebody gets beaten by a police officer or, you know, God forbid your child loses their life, as you just said, to law enforcement, you only want three things. You want the officer disciplined, demoted, or fired. That's an administrative remedy. That's a, like an employer-employee relationship. You want them to like get that dude off the force or that woman off the force. Number two, uh, hopefully you want the cop prosecuted and put in jail. <laughs> um, if they did something really egregious, that's criminal court and the district attorney and the prosecutors. And they're very reluctant, to your point, to do that. And number three is you do need some money, some compensation, some damages so that you know, you can heal and you can move on and you can be, you know, it's, uh, and to do that, you got to go into civil court and sue somebody. You can go into civil court and sue the, the police department. You just can't sue the individual police. So you can get a check, but it doesn't feel as good because that check is coming from the whole community. I mean, you're <laughs> you know, paying your you, own check. It's your tax dollars. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so people say, hey, guys, you know, we want to be able to sue the individual cop. Now, as a tactical matter, what would happen is all the cops would buy insurance and then the insurance policy would wind up paying it. However, the worst cops would become uninsurable because it would be claim after claim after claim. And that, so it's it's not directly, it's not like, well, you're going to actually be able to reach in, in the cop's pocket and take his or her wallet out. It's just that you're going to create a situation where every cop now has to go to get insurance. They're going to have to every year you know, explain what they've been doing. And at a certain point, you've got so many complaints against you. We're going to jack up your insurance policy so much. Okay, now you can't be a cop. So once you get into this, it's really, it's not what people think it is, but it's actually ultimately a pretty smart tool. And it, it makes sense. Why should I have to pay my taxes to pay the police department to pay me when they beat me? <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. You can power up your playtime with the Nintendo Switch system, the home of Mario and friends. You may discover exciting surprises with Mario, Princess Peach, and more in Super Mario Brothers Wonder, or challenge friends to a race in Mario Kart 8, 
Deluxe. You can head to Nintendo.com to learn more about the Nintendo Switch system. Games and systems sold separately. You also played a role in helping to pass the First Step Act, which is something I was involved in, you were involved in, uh, trying to get a bipartisan criminal justice bill passed by Congress, at that time controlled by Republicans, and then signed by Donald Trump, a Republican president, you know, quite controversial, uh, to say the least. You know, we got the bill passed. 20,000 people have come home safely uh, from prison. The Supreme Court just upheld it and said that more, even more people can come home. But you, know, you caught some flack for being involved in an issue that had you supporting a, you know, what was seen at that time as a, a Republican measure, and you're not a Republican dude. How, how did you experience that? How did you think about that? Um, and how do you think about it now? So I, I always thought about it as the concept of looking at Martin Luther King sitting with a president. You know that the institution that this president is leading is adverse to you, right? But you still have to have that meeting. And in order to create any kind of any kind of change, you're going to have to find a way to communicate so that you can get to a middle ground or some sort of understanding. At the end of the day, any movement toward freedom is a positive step. Uh, and that's why, you know, aptly named First Step, First Step Act. There's many more steps to go. Nobody gets to the end of the goal with just one step. So we've got to take it. And if this is what is the compromise, then it's a compromise that has brought thousands of people back together with their families. So uh, it's not just you. I mean, you know, when you say we, some people say we and they just mean themselves and the, the, the mouse in their pocket. I don't know what they're talking about. They just mean themselves. Uh, but when you say we, you know, you do have this organization. You are helping other people come up. Talk a little bit about, about your organization and who are some of the people who are coming up behind you that might be inspiring you as much as you inspire them? Yeah. So uh, Artivist Entertainment is my myself, my wife, Amaya Jupiter, uh, Quetzal Flores, um, Alberto uh, Lopez. And we are a group of Los Angeles musicians who also have a heart. And we felt like there were discussions that were not happening at the level we wanted to, them to happen in Los Angeles. And there were artists that weren't getting the visibility that we feel that they should have gotten. So we created uh, a series of conversations uh, in Los Angeles around different topics that we felt were relevant. Um, of course, uh, urban gardening and the food landscape. You can be your own solution to fresh organic produce. If, if Whole Foods and Trader Joe's aren't coming into the neighborhood, you can grow and plant right where you are. Um, we have a conversation with the community around uh, women and activists and how they uphold communities. There's another artist by the name of Ernesto Yerena, who we were his patrons uh, helping to sponsor his studio and create art. And the art that he creates is the kind of art that you see at all of the marches, you know, with, let's say, the water protectors at the pipeline. Let's say the um, immigration protests that we have here in Los Angeles and across the, the Southwest. 
Um, and he comes from the school of Shepard Ferry, who's famously known for the Obama Hope poster. So a lot of his work has that aesthetic. But he is, just as Shepard Ferry is, profoundly focused on making art that is for the movement uh, and for movements. It's amazing all the, the lives that you're touching and, and the issues that you're touching and the artists that you're touching. Uh, you know, I, I hope people are coming away, you know, with the sense that, you know, a lot more is possible. And it sounds like you have a lot of power yourself. You know, we were talking earlier about people who have power over um, and who may be abusing that power. Uh, people who are in certain positions, you know, because of white supremacy and male supremacy, where they may be abusing the, that, that power. But you have power. How do you think about the power that you have and, and, and the responsibility that you have? And, you know, have there ever been times where you feel like you have too much power, might need to take a step back? Or, I mean, how, you know, you, you're using power yourself. Absolutely. How I manage the power that I have is I'm constantly checking how I can use it to uplift humanity. As an artist, I'm a creative I have so many ideas, but not every idea is worthy of delivering to the people. I see that happening all the time in industry. So many industries just engage in making money without considering the costs that are not financial or fiscal. There are human costs. There are emotional costs ecological costs. There are things that are on that are not on the ledger that we really need to start measuring in order to really evaluate success. You know, I had hit you up recently asking for your help on a project that it it fell in my lap. You know, I I wasn't looking to be part of the COVID relief in the way that I'm showing up at this particular moment. But I found some really promising research about how we could potentially block COVID. And I thought, okay, I have some money in the bank. I could fund this research because no one else is doing it. And I did. And the research turned out to actually look like it's working. So what's next? It's going to cost more money. How can I get more people involved? How can I get the right players involved to do more research so that we know it's safe for people and bring this potential solution to the world so that we can really help to manage this pandemic? You know, that's the way I look at my power. Yeah, that's great. So part of it is you you have an ethical standard uh, that you hold yourself to. I'm sure your wife probably helps you with that and other people in your life. All the time. And then you look for, I mean, everything from where I invest my money, where, you know, I get my information, other people I lift up. I mean, it's really, really uh, inspiring. If somebody wanted to know more about the COVID stuff that you're doing and wanted to be helpful to you, what, what, what could they do? What, what should they do? I think the best thing would be to reach out to me through Instagram. This is very early stages. Or you can also reach out to the website majorislife.com. And that's where people could get in touch. That's awesome. Look, um, you know, everything from community guarding to biotech, you know, from police brutality to immigration. I, I hope people will just take encouragement. I really want the people who listen to this podcast to understand 
there's no limits. There's no barriers. There's no such thing as staying in your lane. You know, most people wouldn't assume that one of the top recording artists in the world is sitting down with the Brookings Institute and Cato trying to figure out how to change, you know, policy on qualified immunity. Like, this is way outside of a cool song, and yet it makes perfectly good sense because it's consistent with who you are and what you're doing. In other words, people can do a lot more than they think. They always can do more than they think. And I just had this you know, epiphany the other day. I was like, I've been in control of my life independently since I turned 18 for the past 25 years, right? I may live, you know, God willing, another 50 years. So that means I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with the next 50 years of my life. It's not just going to be music. I'm not just going to be on stage shaking my hips <laughs> and, and singing a melody. What am I going to to do to create lasting positive transformation that is going to make this world a better place for my kids and also fulfill me, give me purpose? And so everyone has that opportunity. And I think everyone should recognize that you should not ever quit or stop or doubt your ability to make something positive happen. Uh, my last question is, as we've talked about uh, offline at different times, uh, 2024, <laughs> uh, how do you think about the presidential? Do you think we need to run a a, a governor, a, a, a you know someone who's a normal politician, or are we in a different spot now? You know, I had the conversation with Maya th- just this morning about celebrities becoming uh, leaders, and I and I told her, look, the president does not have to be a politician. The president has to be a person that everyone else will listen to and has good ideas about who to hire that can effectively manage all of the aspects of the country. It doesn't have to be someone who's a career politician. And we see, you know, examples of that uh, around the world for good or for bad, right? Most recent we've seen for bad here in the United States. Um, But over in Ukraine, we've seen uh, an actor turned president actually being effective. Zelensky is, uh, he was just a a TV comedy star. And now he's like Winston Churchill. He's he's one of the most, you know, compelling figures in the world stage. So it it really, I really do think, you know, if you look at, you know, the last, uh, you know, we have Biden, but before that, Trump was a celebrity. And honestly, in a lot of ways, the power Obama brought when he ran was the power more of a celebrity because he'd only been in the Senate for a couple of years. It wasn't like he had, you know, years and years of track record passing bills and chairing committees. He gave a, an amazing speech in 2004. And by 2008, he was president. <laughs> and so um, both parties recently have had celebrities. I like one a lot better than I like the other. But are there celebrities that you think need to at least consider scratching their head and raising their hand? Because we got to do something. Absolutely. And I had the opportunity to mention it to him today, um, a conversation with George Clooney. I, I have seen the work that Mr. Clooney does outside of film and TV. He is doing the kind of work that every activist at the highest levels is doing, but he's not bragging about it. He's not boasting about it. It's just happening quietly. And I think that he has the leadership capabilities. I think he would understand the right kind of team to to hire around him as the cabinet in order to effectively manage all of the different sectors. 
you know, and I think that he has the charisma and the appeal to win a presidency because I think that's ultimately what is necessary. You've got to got to find someone who has the je ne sais quoi. Well, I look, I I think the Democratic Party in particular needs to really consider doing something. Different. Yeah, I mean the the rule book I has think, changed. I just think it's 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 just it's got to change. I mean, I I love all our senators and Congress people and 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 dog catchers and mayors and all that type of stuff, but I just think people want something completely different. And so, uh, look, I, you know, I'm I'm going to be very very curious at, at some point. Uh, it might be Aloe Black. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you never know. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> everything you said about George Clooney, I can say about you, brother. <laughs> All right, bro. To be continued. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. I think a lot of times when people look at the news or, you know, we are on social media, we have these conversations, you know, the world can feel really daunting and we wind up limiting ourselves in ways we don't even know we're doing. And what I love about L.O. Black is that somehow he's found a way to avoid that more than not. I often just feel like I'm just not up to this task. I'm looking at this world and I'm looking at, you know, the ice caps melting and the mass shootings and all these different things. And you can just feel not enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough power. I'm not in the right position. I don't, I don't have enough money. And I think that what I hope everyone takes away from Aloe Black is start where you are, use what you've got, and help who you can. And it's amazing that if you just do that over time, how your circle expands and things you know grow and people you can help multiply. And there's no limits. There's no limits. There's no rules. There's no lane. There's no, all that stuff is just stuff that we put in our own heads. Who would have thought that Aloe Black was a biotech engineer? <laughs> and he didn't go to school for that. He didn't get a, a permission for that. He decided he wanted to, he was tired of seeing people die of COVID and what can he do? Um, there are people that we can help. There are things that we can do. You have a position. Uh, somebody's looking at you. Uh, you may not be a rock star. You may not be on television. But I guarantee you, somebody is watching you and what you do and you have a circle of influence. And uh, if you're like Aloe Black, you'll find really creative and fun ways to use that influence for good. And it does add up. So that's the uh, purpose of this podcast. And I appreciate getting a chance to spend more time with you. That was Aloe Black. And our next guest is going to be just as fun. See you then. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, 
Alex John Burns, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen, Vanessa Redbert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jockerman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law & Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.